0: Tonight on This is Vinyl Tap Saints Behind Glass, Things Washed Down the Gutter, Burning the Whole Place Down, and Dirty Angels. Kiko and the Lavender Moon
1: not playing makes believe nobody can see. And then he waits, and then he fades, and then he bends, and then he shakes.
0: 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and the 3rd RPM Long Player Records. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Doug Cooper broadcasting from the Vinegaroon Saloon. And sadly, tonight, I'm alone. Oh. Uh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Tony Slagle is up in Colorado, one of Texas's northern colonies. Tony, say hello to everybody.
2: Hello, everybody from Mountain Land.
0: And Jonathan Rowe is just a little, just a wee bit less far, far, uh, far north <laughs> in, uh, in uh, Leander.
3: I'm in the, vine- uh, yeah, the vinegar. I'm in uh, solitary confinement studio in leander texas that's
0: right and he's in a gated community yeah and of course i'm in not the i'm i have an people from south for of the, the suburbs i'm here in the nitty gritty city <laughs> we've got <laughs> we're continuing our um we've, we've had a little run here of albums that didn't sell very much
2: yes <laughs> and uh well and also also i think to tie into that and maybe i'm interrupting something you're already going to say you are, albums, but i'm used to it. albums where the band or the artist is in collaboration with the producer in a way that makes the album what it is yeah
0: yeah that yeah. would have been cool to get to later but that's true very true <laughs> um this is uh well, maybe we ought to go. We get frequently get asked questions. Why do y'all think y'all are experts on the on these albums? What what makes you so uh smart that we should listen to you? And I think that's a fair question. We try every podcast to answer that question. Tonight, um you can rest assured that we're experts because this band ha- is in the Austin City Limits Hall of Fame. That is right. Mm-hmm. And correct. also, um, My wife's dog's name is the same as this album. So without (laughs) further ado, let me introduce the album. It is the sixth album by Los Lobos, and uh, the name of this album is Kiko. And every time I say that, there's probably going to be a dog that runs (laughs) over here. Is, Is the dog named after the album? The people who named this dog have no idea that this album exists. Ah. This album came out thirty years ago. Close Twenty nine years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I guess well, I'm some ready. Some people for don't next want to be thirty. Already. Yeah. It sold up. It sold four hundred and fifty <laughs> units.
3: So if everybody that four hundred and fifty thousand units. Four
0: hundred fifty thousand units. <laughs> if everybody that listens to this podcast will go out and buy it, you can get them a gold record. Yeah, uh, because we do have about fifty thousand people li- listen to each uh, <laughs> podcast. Why is that funny? the um, reason, I-, I
2: saw something walk in front of my doorway. It made oh, me okay. like, sorry. <laughs> now,
0: for those of you who have uh, heard of Los Lobos, the most likely way you heard of Los Lobos is because they were on the Richie Valley story singing La Bamba. <laughs> They did a great job. And that one sold uh, 2 million units, which is yeah. a yeah, that, little bit better.
2: That album went to number one, I think. I, I mean, I think it's probably easier to name the countries that didn't go, that, that song didn't hit number one. And, yeah. Um, yeah.
0: And they did a great job. uh it's hard to listen to Richie Valley do it after hearing Los Lobos do it.
2: Well, and they, and they have also, it's kind of been a, a, a blessing and a curse for them. It's been a bit of an albatross around their neck, or it was before this album we're talking about came out, kind of clean uh, clean the palate, if you will. Yeah.
0: And JM, we're going to talk, uh, this is an album that JM picked. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, if you look at Paget, uh, look up this album and see what the critics have to say about it they uh, they consider this los lobos uh best album uh and it's a second best selling album after the uh after the la Bamba deal uh and it's if i were to say one thing about this album it's almost like it's calcul- calculated to frustrate people who want to put uh put the uh, music in a genre I, I think this is is like uh the, the the vaseline on the watermelon when people try to grab this and put it in the can, genre
2: can i say um in listening to this album this week i came across somebody who compared it to another album that we've discussed and i went ah like a light bulb went off in my head okay and that and that's yankee hotel foxtrot
1: It's my father's voice drilling off, sailor's sailing off in the morning. For the air-conditioned rooms at the top of the stairs. He's just been broken. Oh,
2: broken and, and I thought, that that makes a whole lot of sense to me because because that album also sort of defies categorization. Um, I I I think this album is significantly, from to my ears, better to listen to, easier to listen to than that album is. But there's, I, I can understand that comparison. Uh, I mean, it makes sense.
0: Well, it's it's clear that these guys wanted to experiment, and I, mm-hmm. I guess it had a lot to do with why they picked the producer they did. Now, speaking yeah. of producers, Jonathan J M Rowe our humble producer with an infinite number of things to be humble about. Uh, Why did you pick this album?
3: Well, you guys have just kind of touched on it. Um, I am, uh, first of all, I'm just, ever since uh, I heard their first album, uh, How Will the Wolf Survive? I've just been enamored with this Um has also been enamored with this band to a point he may have been more enamored with this band than I. And he uh maybe I should have
0: it. an enamored competition. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but he had you know, he uh, kind of introduced he bought just about everything that they ever made, and then I um, I, I liked How will the Wolf Survive, but then I bought the, the album The Neighborhood that came out, the album that came out before this one. Oh! just fell in love with it and just uh listened to it quite a bit um and then this album came out uh and i was blown away by it i i i had just i always thought that they were they were los lobos is a very restless band i they're also uh these guys all play a symphony of instruments
1: They
3: play traditional uh, Mexican instruments very well. Uh, They're very adept at them. That's kind of where they cut their teeth. And one of the things that I think that they do so, so very well, almost from the beginning, is blend those instruments in to their sound
1: he's come to us
3: but they also have a very rock and roll sound that's how uh, they got formed. Uh, David Hidalgo and Louis Perez kind of met in high school, and they bonded over their love of stuff like Marvin Gaye, but you know stuff like Cream, and they just they were just relentless in their pursuit of of music. Um, and then the way that that just the 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 sounds that come from all their albums is just always interesting to me. And this one I think crystallizes it, it's the total realization of blending all those traditional instruments and um, you know, straight rock and roll instruments together. And, and a good example, let us if you see the movie La Bamba, no, not a lot of people know this, but La Bamba was actually a folk tune that Richard right. Allen did. And if you see the movie, there's a scene where Richie Valens actually gets the idea to play, or not, Lou Diamond Phillips playing Richie Valens, goes into some place in Tijuana and it's actually Los Lobos is the band that he sees, and they're playing La Bamba in the traditional way. And that's them actually playing it in tr- the traditional way. <laughs>
2: I think I, I think it's worth mentioning Jam because I think a lot of people who are maybe cursorily familiar with this band don't realize that um when they when they started in 73 as you mentioned they met that, you know David and Lee Perez met in high school and then they got Cesar Garfield Lo- High School Garfield High School in East, east Los LA. Angeles East LA
0: it's very East LA, there. East LA. Yeah,
2: and then they and then they also met uh, Cesar Rosas and uh, Conrad L- uh, Lozano. They were Lozano, also yeah. they were also uh, uh, classmates of theirs, and they got to form this band. And so they d- they were a traditional, well, a traditional I would say traditional conjunto tejano band, but with an attitude, and Yeah. An attitude because they all listened to this garage rock and all this other stuff. And so it's interesting when you listen to that band and I, and Jam you'll be better at pronouncing what they were called back then when they when they recorded their first <laughs> album in 78.
3: Um it was uh, to- Los Lobos del Este de Los Angeles. Right. And
0: that was kind of uh looking towards another ex- maybe in not in all parts of the country, but in this part of the country an extremely uh famous uh Tejano band called
3: los Tigres del Norte
1: ya está cerrada con tres candados
0: Those guys are the king of that genre.
3: They uh, really are, and if you, you can go out and grab some of their stuff, it, it, it's some good music. Fun music. Uh, mm-hmm.
2: it, it, there's a funny story where they're—I uh, I, want to say it was David Hildago maybe—talking about how they would—they uh, got fairly popular in East East LA, and they they would play, you know, they play weddings and they play uh, other things, and they're setting up. Yeah, they play it
3: like. They'd play. They'd uh, use their traditional instruments yeah. a lot on, on at wedding venues, yeah. and then they'd go out in clubs and play. And but, ac- occasionally, they got to do both.
2: But they would play they, play. they would set up in a park, and they looked like uh, they looked like you know. More like I don't know something that crawled out of Woodstock or something than your traditional guys. And so all the they said, he said all the grannies would start packing up their stuff and they'd be walking off, and then they start playing, and they'd go and they'd unfurl their 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 blankets and sit back down. And by the end of the set, they'd go, they go they're going up and kissing them on the forehead because they're so happy that these guys yeah. were playing this stuff. But it's it's really fascinating to me that they record this first album of kind of traditional music in '78, and then they don't do anything else until '83. And by that point, it was a huge (laughs) shift. They they (laughs) discovered what they discovered the LA punk scene and the roots rock scene in LA, and 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 in particular the Blasters.
3: Yeah, um, and you can't and, underestimate. Uh, I mean, the the, I mean, that's how they kind of got discovered was by opening for the Blasters, and they actually stole Steve Berlin the from the saxophone blaster. from the Blasters. Yeah.
2: So explain that to me because the story I heard or read was that T Bone Burnett brought him in when they were recording their first EP to kind of fill yeah. the sound out, but um, and then he just st- stuck around, I guess.
3: Well, the, the the story that I read was, I. It's one of those brother sort of. Uh, if, if you're going to form a a band with your brother, make sure you get along. I I don't think that Phil and Dave <laughs> Alvin really got along that well, and I think that Steve Berlin was just ready to do something different. He had hooked up with T Bone Burnett. T Bone Burnett had just kind of come off of that Rolling Thunder review, uh, so he he had some clout in the in the record business at that time. <laughs> And uh he just said, "Hey, I'm I'm doing this band named Los Lobos." He came and did that EP with them, and just and, I think he just loved and, it. And, and, and the
2: time to dance, right? Was the name of that? Yeah. EP. Yeah. yeah. thing to me is because I think there's only one other band we've talked to talked about on this podcast that stuck stuck together as long as these guys have because this is I, I mean this original yeah, these guys have been together 40 years or so yeah it's and nice. Rush was the only other band we talked about I think that really has that history and um yeah. And Steve Berlin mentions when he joined that these guys, because they had been together for so long, they'd worked out all the animosity and everything, and they just got to know how to deal with each other. Yeah. And and the bigger issue was they never shied away from anyone bringing something new to the table. They were always like, let's give it a try. What the heck, yeah. right? Yeah. And, uh, and that's – I mean – and, and it might be worth mentioning again, Jam, and you'd probably be the person to do it. The the li- this lineup, the guys in the core, the core guys in this band, because they're still the core guys in this band.
3: They are, and you got so the the kind of the two main guys, n- main songwriters are David Hidalgo and Louis Perez. Uh, they met, like we were talking about earlier, met in, in high school,
0: Garfield uh, High School, East Gar- LA,
3: <laughs> East LA. <laughs> And uh, just bonded over their uh, love of the same music. Uh, Louis Perez, they both played guitar, but Louis Perez actually uh, became the drummer when they found Cesar Rosas and then uh, uh, Conrad Lozano. Yeah. they So they started trying to just start going out and playing clubs, but they (laughs) were also grew up with these traditional uh, Mexican instruments and uh, I've seen these guys I don't know how many times I've seen uh, David Hildago and Cesar Rosas play with uh, Los Super 7 Ay al pie de la montaña
1: Donde temprano Se oculta sol Quedó mi ranchito triste Y abandona
3: Know all these Hispanic, these these Mexican traditional norteño and cajunto instruments so well, uh, and the way that they play them are, are just—they uh, never even they play them traditionally too. And um, yeah, so and so that's one of the things I want to say about why I like this. I I I grew up. Uh, I was born in Austin, but I moved around and lived in Corpus Christi, Texas. I lived in Mason, Texas. I lived in San Angelo, Texas. All of those uh, cities have, or towns, uh, have predominantly uh, Hispanic populations. And maybe not San Angelo, but San Angelo has a huge Hispanic population. So it was a long time before I realized you went to a Mexican food restaurant and they didn't have a mariachi band playing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I heard these instruments. And that's one of the things that I just, I, that has always stuck with me. Those just hearing that has always, you know, it brings back very good childhood memories for me. Um, and just hearing the, those sounds, just so happy. Uh, just. Um, even when they're singing "triste" and "mi corazón" and "canciones de <laughs> muerto," it's just you hear all these these, these they're singing about s- sad things, but the way that they're singing about it is just so so celebratory. And so, I think that's a reason why I'm drawn to this band. It's just the the, the way that they can blend those traditional instruments well, that I yeah. grew up listening to.
2: And it's hard. It's it's hard being a Texan and not and being yeah. you know raised in Texas and not and not uh, absorbing that music and also having it be a part of your of your soundscape. I mean, yeah. uh, Doug's going to Doug's going to like this because I'm about to bring Bob Wills into the conversation. But Bob oh. Wills, Bob Wills. <laughs> uh, I mean, he did that early on. He he pulled yeah. all of that stuff into into the sound of the Texas Playboy.
1: A senorita, held my hand and, sweet,
2: really and and blended that in a way that these guys I mean, it's interesting the texas tornadoes did that too they were rock mm-hmm. and they were they were blending that stuff in a way as much as, as i like the texas tornadoes i don't know if they do it quite as organically as as los lobos does it right um, but uh, but the, it's that same sort of thing about you know we talked we talk about you know Grant Parsons these other guys trying to blend soul and rock and country or whatever and these guys are doing the same thing with these different types of music they're listening to it's just a big stew, you yeah know? yeah. Now something is added to
0: this stew tonight, and that's <laughs> the producer Jonathan J M Rowe. <laughs> you too are also a producer. I have no idea if the producer of this album is humble, but he is a producer. What can you tell us about the producer and what this combo got?
3: (laughs) Okay. I'm going to say this guy is a pretty humble producer. He really likes to stay behind the scenes. Uh, He's a fantastic. Uh, Does he have
2: a
0: problem with making it about himself?
3: (laughs) Uh, Don't think he does. uh, Actually, I
2: I think an argument might be be made on this album (laughs) that he might actually make it a little bit about himself, but go ahead. (laughs)
3: All right. So this guy, the, the producer is a guy named Michael Froome and he is a, um, a phenomenal keyboard player, not in the sense where it, he's, you know, like a virtuoso on keyboards. He just knows a lot about, uh, synthesizer settings. And he, he, he's kind of like a, he's like a Brian, Eno light, I guess he also has worked with a lot of, uh, of bands, um, among them, uh, probably the most popular is uh, Crowded House.
1: And whenever I fall at your feet, you let your tears rain down on me. Whenever I
3: turn, he the first three Crowded House albums which are all fine, fine albums. He's worked with people like uh, Paul McCartney. Uh, I think even Elvis Costello. He just has, it, I can't see, He to me, he's like Steve Lillywhite. Steve Lillywhite has an ability to record an album that won't always sound like a Steve Lillywhite album, but you can kind of tell that Steve Lillywhite's there. Michael Frome kind of has that ability. There's going to be some sort of weird keyboard sounds that are going to be emanating from it. Uh, he likes putting drums high in the mix. Um, so that's one of the things you'll notice about this album is that the drums and the percussion are pretty high in the mix. Um, he is also like one of those kind of, uh, restless guys. He, he doesn't like, um, he, he likes to just put bands together and then just get rid of them. Um, there is a band that he basically, uh, put together with, um, David Hildago and Louis Perez called The Latin Playboys.
1: And
3: if you ever hear that album, it is... One of the most bizarre albums you'll you'll ever hear. Um, Not it's like the Texas beautiful. Playboys. <laughs> Not like the Texas Playboys, but that's kind of where they got their name, actually. Um, so it's it's pretty interesting. But, but he's just uh, he just does some very unusual. He he likes soundscapes, kind of like we were talking about uh, with uh, Daniel Lanois. But his sound, he he just much more into the keyboard area as opposed to Daniel Lanois, who's much more in the guitar area. You know he is uh, a the he's produced the
2: uh, a fourth Crowded House album, the most recent one that was released about a month ago, and he is a full fledged member of the band now. He's a right. keyboardist he's now. The, he's House. the
3: keyboardist for Crowded House. That's right. I forgot. <laughs> um, I,
2: it's it's funny that you mentioned, and I'll talk about this when we get to a specific song. It's funny you mentioned Daniel and because I feel that. And I don't know, I mean, outside of listening to the Crowded House stuff, I don't know a whole lot about this guy in terms of his pr- production, but um, there were moments listening to this album where I could see it feeling very much like that partnership that Lenoir has with these other artists he works with and mm-hmm. um, and having the 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 what is going on in the background almost... And this is why I said I think it's an argument to be made that it is a little bit about himself, almost kind of taking over from the ba- uh, from the band's perspective. In other words, that sort of the the, the moments uh, on this album that kind of don't hit me the right way are the ones where the production seems to be overriding the songcraft in in ways. Um, and I know I'm, I know that's kind of an outlier thought because as Doug mentioned, this album was a cr- absolute critic's darling when it came out. Doug and I were talking a little bit about this before we started that I think I think this album may be one of those albums where the critics went a little overboard and it doesn't quite live up to the hype that's not that's not I'm not not album at all I'm just saying that you know I think the Wall Street Journal said it was it was uh, they compared it to Sergeant Peppers Uh, it's you know on tons of top 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 albums of the decade Um, again not to knock the album but I just find that a little bit of of hyperly talking about this particular album because it's just my maybe my taste. Maybe I'm just not sophisticated enough. I would listen to How Will the Wolves Survive over this album any day of the week.
3: Really? So that's just really? me. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. We we talk about albums coming from nowhere. One of the things I love about this album is how it stays cohesive, but you've got stuff that it, it, I think it, it
0: I think it's cohesive, but I can't find its center. I, I feel well, like it, and that's not. Yeah, I'm going to agree with I you. Feel like that. it moves around so much that I, I almost disoriented. It's a little. It,
2: yeah. is a little dis- it seems a little schizophrenic to me in some ways, but I agree with. I think I agree with you, JM. There's nothing It doesn't sound like anything else, especially mm-hmm. in in 1992, um, yeah. and especially when you say come you know something coming out of nowhere because as we were talking earlier la bomba was something that well that none of the bands dismiss that as they you know to their credit they don't go oh we we wish we'd never done that because they realize that that put them on the map in a way that they never would have been on the map before mm-hmm. but they do think that it overshadowed everything they had done to that point and so what's interesting is they they go into the studio and they make an album of traditional music and it, won, wow. and it won a grammy award for best mexican american performance yeah and yeah. and then they do the album you're talking about the neighborhood which is much more rootsy kind of but it's a precursor to this and kind of what they were doing but but not i don't think anybody listening to the neighborhood would have thought when kiko was out, coming oh, up yeah, yeah this makes sense because it doesn't no
0: it <laughs> well, doesn't speaking it doesn't. of this album this album has 16 songs on it.
3: <laughs> so we probably need to get going. That
0: makes me a little worried that we'll still be here at midnight uh talking <laughs> about it. Because they're very they're very interesting songs and they are um you know, all there's a lot of variety. All right. Track number one, all of these songs are written by Hidalgo and Perez, except for a few. Track number one is Dream
1: in blue.
3: The guitar part on this, the way that it comes in, it's really weird. He doesn't come in on the one he comes in on. I'm guessing it's the four. Um, you've got those percussion that all that weird percussion that that comes in at the beginning of it. Um,
2: Well, you know, who's playing drums on this song, right? It's uh, Pete Thomas. It's Pete Thomas uh, from the attractions. And so uh, what, what Steve Berlin says is that they they had already kind of worked this song out as a demo. And then Pete Thomas comes in and starts doing this weird Jamaican groove thing completely changed the way they looked at the song. And they went with that.
0: I, I bought how will the wolf survive when it came out and uh, i got a couple others but uh i did i knew nothing about this record until we started working on it so i'm coming at it as a complete stranger uh the first this is the first song and the first thing i noticed about this song were the drums yeah Uh, they're really are amazing they're amazing and they also uh just like tony says they give this song its character
2: Mm-hmm. Right. And I th- and it's just it's funny that this is a, well, we talked we talked about uh, we talked about Pete Thomas in the Elvis Costello episode and how much how important he was to that album as well. It's just funny that, uh, you know, uh, that this guy comes in as kind of as a session guy and, and the rest of the guys are like, holy cow. Well, <laughs> we can't it. we got we got to do something with whatever he's doing. <laughs> right.
3: Yeah. I mean, and and. Louis Perez, he he's uh, he's not the best drummer in the world. I mean, he, he's a he's a competent drummer, but he he really likes being much more up front, and uh, that he's originally a guitar player.
2: One one of the things that the guys talk about when recording this is that um, uh, the the producer kind of went lo fi with the stuff like they they put you know um the drums are all done in a small room and yeah. they throw they, they throw these sure microphones in the bottom of a trash can and they yeah do all yeah all this weird stuff and and and, it, and it's and but what they said was interesting because i think it is absolutely spot on they said it was recorded lo-fi but it doesn't sound i mean it sounds hi-fi it's like this weird kind yeah. of You know, it doesn't sound, it's not poorly (laughs) recorded. It just sounds different than anything else.
3: One of the notes, one of the notes I have is it sounds uh, like AM radio on the left side and uh, FM radio on the Ah, right side. I could see that. Yeah. Because, and then, but another thing, this is definitely a headphone album and this is a headphone song. It, there, there is so much weird stuff going on uh, stuff going from speaker to speaker, a lot of the songs the the verses are every verse is done in a different way. Sometimes it's a uh, the, the, it'll be a guitar dropping out and a keyboard coming in and a big part of that I think has to be Michael Proom, uh just daring him to kind of do some stuff
0: Up next is "Wake Up Dolores Wake up morning." This song has weird <laughs> backup vocals. They're, it's because
2: it, it's, it's a, in Aztec or whatever the Aztec language is. Is that right? Yeah, it's an Aztec mantra in the chorus. They didn't speak um, Spanish? No. <laughs> I forget what I forget. I wish I, I should have looked it up with the actual official language of the Aztecs was, but that's what they're that's what they're doing. Aztecian. <clears throat> so it's funny because Perez talks about the first time David Holdago presented the song. He played it on a 12 string and it sounded kind of African to him, he said. Yeah. So, so he just said, well, I, I always had this idea of writing about indigenous people returning back to their reclaim their homeland and this seemed yeah. to make sense with this idea of like people being displaced from these wars in central america and that's yeah. kind of what this song's about and i'm assuming i mean i don't know is dolores this guy's it's about a couple i'm assuming going back is dolores the guy's wife it's like come on no. wake up we got to go for a walk we got to keep walking i don't know where <laughs> yeah. it, it's an i have odd, no
3: idea where this comes from
2: um but um, it's it's funny too because steve berlin says when he listens to it he's like there's so much going on how did we do this i mean they, <laughs> it's it, most of these guys, when they talk about this album, they talk about it in almost hushed, magical tones. Like it was something that came from someplace. They had no idea where it came from.
3: One of the things about this album is I can't figure out what the instruments are. Half the time. <laughs> is that a sax? Is that a keyboard? Is that a guitar? What's going on here? And they, they never, it's another one of these where they never actually resolve to the, to the one. They don't actually never go is that, to the are they in two chord? chords the whole time. I think they're doing two I, chords the whole time, but they never—it doesn't
0: resolve. You're exactly—it never right hits her. That. It
3: never hits to the. It never resolves. It never goes to I the will, one. I This
2: may be the single most repetitive song we've ever talked about on this podcast. This
3: song.
0: I, so lonely, so lonely. No, 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 no,
3: no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I'm going to agree with you. I think it is, but I think that's its magic. I think that. Well.
2: The, the, I, I get that for, from some points of view. It's, it's it's a little tiresome for me after a while. It
3: never it's, gets tiresome to me. That's no, only love three minutes. It. Yeah, it's I only think, three minutes, and the, I there's think just so, so many lonely
0: different fade out is longer than three minutes.
3: <laughs> but the way that it that this so much stuff just keeps coming in, like vocals yep, start coming in all J- distorted. That's J- 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 why it
0: doesn't get old with just two chords. Yeah. You got Jam. all the background. Yeah.
2: Jam, did you notice how Doug had the so lonely already? <laughs> Teed up. (laughs) It's like he knew I was going to say something about (laughs) this.
0: I didn't have my contradiction budget. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, angels with dirty faces.
2: Okay, this is a song to me that sounds like Latin-infused Daniel Lanois to me. This song, it does. I, I, I if, when I hear this song, I hear Daniel Lanois, or it sounds like something he would do. Um, it is, um, it just has that that soundscape kind of that otherworldliness yeah, to it. And yeah, that layered stuff going on. It's very atmospheric. Um, the vocals um the melody doesn't come from the vocals really it comes from the instrumentation which is kind yeah. of an interesting thing. yeah the oh, vocals i'm, I'm sorry i'm sorry take that i take that uh, the other way around the melody yeah, comes the vocals kind of hold it
3: yeah like the, everything uh, floats yeah. behind us the percussion's yeah. pretty uh oh,
2: incredible
0: pretty distracting uh, uh really you know the whole thing starts with just the whatever yeah. those things are they're playing and the guy's singing and the, and the guy's voice uh Comes out clearer on this one and it lets, lets you, uh, yeah. He has a, an attractive voice. He's I wouldn't say voice. it's acrobatic or, uh, it's not cool really or it. anything, but it sure sounds authentic and yeah. heart. Everything yeah. he says it's, sounds
2: very heartfelt. It's a good voice. And, and Hildago's guitar solo in this
3: is backward. And then there's that sitar sounding thing that's coming in throughout that, which I don't know how they managed to make that happen. And it's
2: about what was going on outside of the studio when they're recording. Cause it's just, it's a song about homelessness, essentially. It's not, I mean, that's not, I'm not, I'm not telling tales out of, out of school. I mean, you listen to lyrics, it's obvious. That's what it's about, but. Good thing they got that fixed. <laughs> <laughs> the first three songs on this album. Um, don't, don't grab me like the next one we're going to talk about. The next one is kind of like, Oh, a song. Um, yeah. You know,
0: speaking of the next one. The next one is, That Train Don't Stop Here. And this
1: is
3: yeah. a Cesar Rosas right. song. Um, I love Cesar Rosas's guitar playing. But, but, uh, he, his songs kind of bore me. He has written, he wrote, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why this song's on the album. <laughs> I was going to say, James, this,
0: uh, this album has, uh, 16 songs on it. Yeah. If someone asked me to make it 15, this, this particular song would make it very easy for me to make this album 15, See
2: you guys. We're getting a little bit of an insight into you, and particularly you, J.M., and that you like the you like the odd. I mean, this is a fairly straightforward song. Like I said, it's the first. It's not it's not fantastic by any means, but it's the first, in my opinion, real song on the album that doesn't have (laughs) some sort of weird studio thing or some other you know Aztec mantra going on in the background or something. It's a song.
3: It is a straight song, and then but I think they got so bored with it at the end that they had to put uh, Steve Berlin doing that just honking baritone sex part at the end of it and then just do that chaotic thing at the end. Yeah. this is tell you what, it
0: reminds me of the songs on the Little Feet album we covered that weren't Lil' George songs.
3: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's (laughs) how I feel, too.
0: This is a solid little boogie-woogie number.
3: And And he uh, writes a lot of those. That's that's kind of his thing. If I were
0: if i were in a san angelo hotel and a, a band was playing there i'd say that's pretty uh, that's pretty impressive yeah but you can't put a song like this on this album Mm-mm. it just doesn't oh. it just uh, it sounds like uh, here's the intermission here's these yeah. guys that uh haven't really branched out at all doing a I-
2: I, I i think i think you're missing the point of this album uh i i agree with you it's it's long and there's songs to be cut off but i think saying it's just saying that the rationale is it doesn't fit i don't i don't think that's i mean this album is kind of all over the place in it is but <laughs> it one is. place
0: it doesn't go is boring and this song's boring
2: <laughs> you want to go back and listen do you want to go back and listen to uh listen to wake up Dolores again, just do that and tell me, tell <laughs> no, me that I, it doesn't go I, I don't boring. Think, I, I don't think the
0: wake up Dolores doesn't make me think immediately. I've heard this 300,000
2: times before. I, I am. Yeah. Uh, okay. But that you didn't say that you said boring. And if that's your well, definition, and that boring, I'd, I'd agree with you. Well, <laughs> what's boring to me is something that just sounds like the record stuck.
3: I don't, I don't, that's one of the things I like about it is that it, it could sound like the record's stuck, but they keep throwing <laughs> weird stuff in the whole time. It's
0: it stuck on a good place. Yeah. Uh, I disagree. Okay. We got Kiko next.
1: Kiko and the lavender moon play playing makes believe nobody can see. And then he waits, and then he fades, and then he bends, and then he shakes.
0: the so dog won't come running in.
2: Um, so, so Doug. In, uh, um, lavender Moon. Beg your pardon? I was just going to say, when you say you, you don't know where the, where the center of this album is or whatever, the band feels like this is the heart of the album, this song. I this can is see a that. Song, This is a song that once they got this in place, everything else fell around, fell into place. Um, I can see it. that. Yeah. Um, um, it's, a, it's an interesting song. And if I if I recall... I mean, I heard this on the radio, so was this a single?
3: I think it was, yeah. I'm looking at, yeah, it was the single. Okay, name another song like it.
2: There's not another song like it.
3: The one they sang about Emo
0: and the (laughs) Lavender Moon. You mean Elmo. Elmo. Elmo.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we do have to say that Los Lobos, about maybe 10 months after this album came out, maybe a year, we're on Sesame Street, and they, they sang a version that's called Elmo and the Lavender Moon. The video is hilarious. This video is hilarious. This hilarious Elmo's dancing around, to, uh, you yeah. know,
3: with the yeah, bird and they the keep replacing the lyrics, but they keep some of them. And, yeah, uh, standing yeah, on one yeah. leg, and
2: I, I'm okay with that. It's it's cute, you know. <laughs> well, this um, is a
3: but we were talking about earlier, what I was saying earlier their blend of traditional instruments, Mexican instruments, and then traditional rock and roll instruments. This is the perfect amalgam. To me that when you hear that pushboard push button accordion coming in that Hildago's playing with those Steve Berlin's horns and the I've actually seen him play this live a couple of times.
2: Berlin Berlin says that Hildago came up with that riff and they're like, mm-hmm. we gotta do something with this. Um You know and it's about and and Perez I guess wrote the lyrics he says it's about a a, it was based or inspired by an altar that was on his mom's dresser because that's the other thing that they do well is they kind of blend that that the folk aspect of yeah very very traditional um like latin infused catholicism and a lot of stuff yeah and this and, and and this song definitely does that um and, and he said it was inspired by this you know this idea of this character in this altar kind of coming to life and dancing around the room or whatever
0: yeah well yeah it part of this song sounds like it's uh when he's not singing sounds a little bit like something from the 30s or 40s to me mm-hmm. yeah no it definitely yeah.
2: does it's got that You're it, right. it's it's and I think that's part of the appeal to it is it doesn't sound like anything else yet it's very familiar yep. in a way that's in a uh-huh. weird kind of way
0: and this next song. I completely fell in love with. I don't imagine I'll go a month for the rest of my life without listening to this one. It's it's what what Tony was talking about before. I haven't read anything about this song, but in my imagination this is somebody writing about it's a boy talking about uh it's called saint behind the glass Mm -hmm. and it's it it reminds me of a six-year-old boy what he would say about the saint that his mom's put right next to his bed in his bedroom (laughs) and it is one of those songs that is extremely simple and and it's
2: uh and it's got uh, lead vocals are by Perez well
0: and it matches this song perfectly it does yeah. yeah it reminds me of you know you go to the grocery store in Texas and they have a whole aisle that has the uh the candles Angels. with yeah. with yeah. the saints on them <laughs> and uh, yeah
3: well, and then uh, the, the thing that makes this song so joyous is that Veracruz harp. And I don't yeah. know if you guys, a Veracruz harp is a, is a small harp, and it, it actually does come from Mexico. And it is, uh, uh, it's a beautiful sounding instrument.
0: You know what um, else comes from Veracruz? Fish. Yeah. Sauce. Yeah. And La Bamba. Is that right? Yep. I did not know so that. So a Capitán. So it it down. Wow. yeah and one Anyways, of the so- things i love about this i think jm hit on this already but if you grew up in texas and then I, I spent a lot of time in mexico um that spanish sound is it makes me sentiment and, and not spanish oh Mexican yeah sound it makes me really sentimental when i yeah. hear that <laughs> yeah. yeah i i associate it without outdoor uh, festivals where you're walking around. With oh, and weird- I,
3: yeah. Firecrackers. It's, and, it, yeah.
2: it's so full of joy in a weird way. And like you said earlier, James about, it doesn't matter what the, the what the subject matter is. It's the music's so full of joy. I remember um, not to get too into personal stuff, uh, but uh, we used to do a Corpus Christi Parish and I did it for the Spanish mass one time and the music, in that and it was the first time I'd gone to the Spanish Mass, and the music in that mass was so full of joy. It was like, I wish I knew what they were singing about because I know, it's, yeah. It's I, I I didn't understand a word of the mass, I didn't understand a word of the songs because I don't speak Spanish, but it was it was so different than the somber, sour puss faces of the people and <laughs> all, all the other masses.
0: This song reminds me of that Pixar movie that came out a couple, not too many years ago, uh, Coco about the day of the dead and it is uh it has that same feel uh as, mm-hmm. as this song so that's the cultural appropriation portion of our evening <laughs> but i had to stall out there because i just love i am i'm in love with that song and it got in my head and it's been going yeah, it's it's catchy it's, it's catchy
2: is. as hell yeah, yeah it it's is
0: wonderful next we have Raybo's house.
2: controversy about this song that i think people i mean i the the band members say it's about one thing and a bunch of other people say it's about something else and i think listening looking at the lyrics and listening to it i think the band is obviously they know but i think it's a stretch to kind of talk about it in a way that other people do which is uh you know the band's uh, the guy who wrote the song says it's about uh, it's about a, a couple. Actually, it's a, like, I guess, a kid or someone in this apartment complex, and they see this couple that are having issues, and the dad's an alcoholic, and mm-hmm. he comes home, and, it, and the mom has to deal with this alcoholic, and he's likely abusive. But people take that a step further and say the song is about him actually sexually abusing her or raping her. I don't get that at all from the lyrics. Maybe I'm just dense.
3: I mean, who has a... Baritone sax just blowing away in a. Again, they're not in the. They're like on the four or the five, not on the one. And then you just have a twelve-string acoustic guitar coming in over that, just hammered blast on it too.
2: And, and, and you and you get that thing that Doug, I think you mentioned a lot, a song where the lyrics don't really match the. Exactly, the music because the yeah. music's very. It's like you, you know you want to kind of get yeah. get groove to it. It's fun to listen to. It's a fun song, <laughs> but it's about. not
3: at the it's not at the beginning. That's the thing. I, I, that's one of the things I like about it. Is right. and, and they're like everything's fine, everything's fine, and then all of a sudden you just hear these weird chords coming in at, at different parts, and uh, the way that it ends at the very, it's all chaotic at the end.
0: It's a it's a very accessible song. And uh, we know that there's a man doing something bad. Sounds like the singer wants to help, and, yeah. Uh,
2: anyway, well, it's yeah, it's I mean, it's it was, I guess, sort of inspired by some southern writer named Reese. Digi- I'm not gonna, I'm gonna mangle this guy's <laughs> name, J- 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 Japan Cake or something like that. Anyway, <laughs> he killed himself when he was 26, but he had a character in one of his songs, uh, one of his books called Rava and and she was a little bit disenfranchised so perez says you know she's she's disenfranchised and so he he is based it on that and it's kind of one of those you know my american dreams unfulfilled characters so he put a little bit of that in there and then the song is he's the one that said the song is about an alcoholic and yeah. uh you know anyway yeah
0: well next we have when the circus comes
1: when. The- are rolling on the I'll burn this whole place down when the circus comes to
0: time. and i have got to tell y'all something about these three songs uh i thought that um saint behind glass was uh, the first track on side 2 <laughs> <laughs> and by the time I got to this song, I thought, "Boy, I sure do like side two better than side one." I mean, I like <laughs> side one, but I really like side two. And uh, we already even at the half. We're we're not even we at just... the halfway point. Well, barely at the halfway point now. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. I guess that was all wrong, but that gives you a, an idea of what was going through my head listening
2: to these songs.
0: Really, I really like this one. Uh, well, was this
2: song, was this was this album even sequenced for an LP though? Probably no. not. In it's ninety two. So yeah. I'm thinking that that has a lot to do with the fact that it is so lengthy, <laughs> and there are this many songs on it as well. Because it just that's what you did, right? You had Ella had a little extra room to play
3: with. Yeah, I love I like the way this. this song starts. One of the things that the these guys do they don't play guitars just like a like like strumming folk instruments. You know, and this is one of the few that they actually do. So when they yeah. do do that, it is it's it's kind of a nice. And you're not uh, tired thing. of it already. Yeah, exactly. I think that um,
0: one of my theories on production, as a non-producer, has always been: if I were working with the rock band, I'd say, I want to hear everything before you put a guitar in. But mm-hmm. I I'd, I'd think it, Too many bands lean on the guitar.
2: But, I, I think this this album, to me in general, uh, puts the guitar kind of back in the mix in a weird way. The guitar all those, are, are weird. Yeah. yeah,
0: and by that I mean original. Yeah. yeah, some may be weird for the sake of weird. I don't know, but uh,
3: no, I don't think that. That's the thing. I don't think that it. their experimentation on this album, I think, serves every song very well i don't i can't think of a clunker where they where they, oh wow that experiment didn't work right. um well it's it's quite clear they're a tight band with
0: great players
2: yeah yeah they definitely
0: and then we got this arizona sky thing arizona skies <laughs> sentimental sound again
3: it, it almost sounds like a david lindley lap steel solo in the middle of it and just the percussion that comes in it's almost brazilian sounding but it it it's it still just kind of yeah arizona skies and this is yeah. the it
0: ought to be the soundtrack to some it reminds me of like that soundtrack uh paris texas with uh right yeah Cooter, that same Rock Cooter flavor yeah. mm-hmm. the uh it starts out with just uh it's very traditional with these two guitars playing, but yeah you've got this really strange and uh attractive uh rhythm deal going in the background, yeah and yeah. it's it's very novel, so you have this very traditional two guitars playing off of each other, and then you got this very novel and very interesting uh, rhythm section going, yeah.
3: And that's where you get then uh, Conrad's playing that um, guitar on. For those who don't know it, a guitar on is like the bass of traditional Mexican <sighs> instruments, but it's, it's not tuned like a bass. Big old guitar. And it is huge. <laughs> and so
0: I think you have to be a fat guy to play it. <laughs> yeah. I think, I I think it helps. It yeah.
3: Conrad's not the smallest, he's probably the largest member of the band.
0: All right. Up next speaking of short 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 side of nothing. Here I
1: am.
2: Favorite song on this album
0: it's a great song. It's a it's another one. It's, guitar it's on this just, song, Tony. This song sounds like it could have a twelve string guitar on it. I, guess I it's a just it's just
2: favorite. It's just catchy as hell, and I, the lyrics are so great that I, I, I just yeah. want to say the opening line because I love it so much. Dreams wash down the gutter, all my hopes in vain. Crows on the rooftop
3: laughing out my name. <laughs> a,
2: it's great. That, that is great. great.
3: Los Lobos to me do not have the best lyrics in the world, but man, that opening line—they yeah, is...
0: have a couple of uh, high spots on this record where they really uh, come up with some good. Yeah, lines.
2: I, I think I think they were inspired. It, you know, like I mentioned earlier, they all kind of wonder where all this came from, and something happened when this album was recorded that got them all to kind of
3: take it up a. couple Oh moments. yeah, David O'Dago's voice is amazing on this, and the harmonies are amazing on it.
2: it yeah, it's a, pretty... it's a great. It's a great song. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and it and and uh, it is a little bit of a departure from the rest of the. Uh, but it's
2: not a departure for them. Yeah,
3: no, not a departure for them. It it sounds like this is like an outtake from the neighborhood. Anyway, it's a great song. It's, it's probably good. the most powerful song on the on the album. Up next is two Janes. Jane number one, as happy as can be.
1: Jane number two, you what? set them free too many nights hiding under bed. too many
3: fears fill the pretty head i think this song is beautiful uh, i think the, every every um uh, los lobos album has a beautiful song on it just a, a nice ballad and, and this it, is well it's this it's
2: it. it's inspired by two Milwaukee sisters who committed suicide so it's not the happiest song in the world but it's 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 beautiful it's haunting i love the I, i'm assuming it's a banjo
0: it's, it's, the whole the whole theme of this portion of the album we're on seems to be more melodic uh less emphasis on weird Weirdness. noises and drums yeah. and yeah, uh,
2: yeah.
0: anyway I've, <laughs> It's
2: almost like the band wrested the controls away from the producer. And said, <laughs> Michael hey,
0: Broom. We're
2: yes. going to make an album now. Go on with your business. Put, Our
0: turn. <laughs> they put Milk of Magnesia in his brownies and while yes. he was gone, this yeah. is what happened. Well, how about Wicked rain. rain, rain.
2: This song to me sounds like this sounds like a Clapton song to me.
3: It just doesn't need to be on the album. It's not, it's not it's interesting. It's not interesting. Yeah. It's got some weird. Again, we're getting back to like we're trying to make it interesting with some weird stuff. You got the yep. distorted vocals. You got the you know Steve Berlin's doing his best to try to there. make it interesting, but it's just there, it's just not. There a are good much song.
2: better songs about rain that you could listen to than this song.
0: All right, we're going to move on. I'm getting my W words <laughs> confused.
2: Well, speaking of W words. Whiskey Trail.
0: Is a place
1: where Maybe it's a place that I won't know. Down that trail. Mama told me not to because I might Never was the kind of... List-
2: now this is a song, my friend. This is a song. <laughs> If it wasn't for if it wasn't for uh, if it wasn't for the short side of nothing, this would be my favorite song
3: in the album. <laughs> this is the most rocking song on the. This album. This song I is think. a
2: blast. Now I've never seen this band live. You said you've seen them a lot. I can't. Ima- this song would they, be so much. This fun was live. A, yeah.
3: This was an encore. One of the times I saw them. Um, the, the musicianship again is just fantastic, and this is just them.
2: I, now if I had any knock on it, I would say this is one of the songs where I feel like the guitar is a little buried in the mix. It ought to be. I'll little... agree with
3: you. It should be a little bit higher up. I'll agree yeah, with you. There's yeah, some good guitar still, work that's, that's going on. That's nitpicking. It's nitpicking. Yeah. But listen to it with headphones and you can kind of hear what there, there is some really amazing stuff going on. Well, the dr-
2: the drums are like <sighs> yeah. pop and uh, yeah. And, and like I said, the guitar leads great. It just seems a little buried to me. Um, and it's, I, I, is this a, so is this a song disparaging drinking too much, or is it a song celebrating <laughs> drinking too much? I can't tell because it's about it's kind of about a guy following in his dad's footsteps. His yeah, dad, his dad drank his lunch out. Is it his lunch or his I dinner? I think it's. it's I think sack. that's
3: one of the things. Like, well, this. Yeah, I probably shouldn't do this, but you know, this is fun.
0: Yeah, I tell you, this song when I first heard it. Well, every time I hear it, I think I'm at. I think it's. I, 1245 and the band just started singing some slow song (laughs) about it, their feelings. And I'm thinking, God, I want to go home. And then this (laughs) sucker turns on and every girl starts bouncing up and down. And like, Wow. Wow. I'm alive again. This is good. And the lights come on behind the stage. And the lights pick up behind the stage and everybody's going nuts. And there's all this energy all of a sudden.
2: Anyway,
3: well, I guess it's a great song. Uh,
2: Yeah, I kind of feel like maybe that's where they should have wrapped it up. (laughs) But we we can move on to the next couple of songs. Just a man. Song so boring.
3: <laughs> this is, um, one of my least favorite Perez Haldago songs. Not, I mean, and they haven't written many clunkers, but to me, this is just boring. There's just the it's piano plotting. part is just it's plot exactly. Yeah,
2: perfect word.
0: It's the uh, song that you need, um. Whiskey train to come after him. <laughs> Yeah,
2: <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. how do you follow how do you follow that with this? You, know? <laughs> you don't <that> yeah.
0: Was... <laughs> yeah. Let's move straight to peace.
1: There's a man standing on the street, shouting loud above the crowd. Sing Amen to everyone around. Oh, yeah.
2: I, I also don't, don't like find, this. I don't find find this on that interesting either.
3: <laughs> well, every it's another thing that uh Los Lobos does on every album is they put some sort of uh let's have peace in the world kind of
2: well they grew up, up know, listening to all that 60s LA they did, stuff Yeah, there. so what's
3: going on kind of stuff. I love the the beginning guitar part on it. Yeah, Um, I I think that's a very interesting guitar part. If you're a guitar
0: player, as soon as you hear that, you want to go find out how do they do that.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Well, Um, I think the band would
2: have a hard. From everything I've read from them in interviews, they'd have a hard time telling you how they did that because (laughs) it sounds like a mystery to them.
3: (laughs) (laughs) They it's one of those where they try to make it interesting with the again with Steve Berlin doing some sax parts on it. They're just but it's just not. It's a turd. You can't polish. <laughs>
0: All right, then now we're going to find out how much uh, Spanish I didn't learn in uh, <laughs> Mexico. <laughs> Rio de Tinampa, <laughs>
3: Rio de Tenapa.
0: Um, this one is in Spanish.
2: Totally. So the, this is a this is an actual river in LA. Uh, a, uh, according to Steve Berlin, it's a place that no one goes. Cause it's really more of a trickle, but when it rains, it turns into a raging river. I, I mean, I have in my mind, one of those places that you've seen them in movies in LA where they're just like these giant drainage ditches that they call a river Yeah,
3: where they, were, where they usually have a drag race in.
2: Yeah. Or like a, in a movie, <laughs> there's was, like a motorcycle racer uh,
0: in Greece. They had the race there, didn't they? Yeah.
2: I don't know if that's the kind of river he's talking about, but in my mind, that's what it is. It's just a
3: concrete. I know, that's what, what concrete, I think about
0: concrete yeah. deal for taking care of flash floods. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we had um, those in Albuquerque, and uh, it would say yeah. it was a river when you drove over and you'd look at that. And <laughs> it's, oh, it's a ditch. <laughs> person I calls could, that a river.
1: Yeah.
3: To me, it's like a small town uh, marching band from high school trying to play this stuff, <laughs> and they just can't quite get it right. But it's so interesting, but I find that so interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, the horn. The horns are it's, off. It's, it's,
0: I had something to say about it because I didn't.
2: <laughs> well, it's a, it's an okay song, but it, again, it's an odd sequence. These last three songs are not how I. It, it reminded me. You brought up Little Feet again. It reminded me of that Little Feet album it just ends on a song. that You're like, why would you end with this? I and, love the way it ends. I, I think that's. I think that's perfect
3: the way that yeah. they ended it. Things I don't on. have a
0: problem with that song, but I, I agree with Tony. I would not have sequen- sequenced this album the same way they have. Huh. Yeah, I think it'd have about uh, 13 tracks on it at the most.
2: Yeah, I could probably get it down to 12. 13. Yeah, I could probably get it
0: down
3: to at least 14. But, you
0: know. but after having said all those nasty things here at the end, this is a good album, it is a fun album. If you buy this album, you won't regret um you won't regret owning this album unless Abba's Abba gold is your favorite album.
3: <laughs> well the, and i'm I think I kind of mentioned this before, but this was the album that just got me into listening to more Cahu- uh Cajunto stuff uh then there was low super seven that came out of this that is well fantastic
2: it, it's funny that you mentioned them because that's what two of the guys in this band are in that
3: Cesar Rosas and David aldago yeah
2: and evidently this particular song um they stretch out pretty long they play this song live I guess and so they yeah. stretch it out into something into something else
3: experimental these guys are, are are restless and I just I they will introduce you to a whole different world of music
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. That's a great uh great album there, JM. And we're gonna just go Thank ahead and uh get a rating from Tony. We don't have to call him T anymore because we're uh we're doing, uh, yeah, we're doing it's two Antonio
3: as Antonio.
0: Yeah. yeah, we're doing the two Antonio. ratings, right? Doug. That's yes. right. One is how much you like it, and one is as a critic and removed, what would you give it?
2: I, I think as the critic, um I'd give it a three, nine Um, because there are songs on here that I, that I think are, are, you know, you could tighten the album up a little bit. Um, And I think there's a little things, at least from my point of view, that are a weirdness for weirdness sake that kind of take away from that. But, uh, you know, again, uh, three, I think three, nine is solid. Um, And in terms of liking it, a three, five, I think I'd give it a three, five. There are songs on, like you said, there are songs on this, on this album, I think I'll probably listen to at least once a month. There are songs on this album that I'm okay with not ever hearing again. So,
0: Jonathan J.M. Rowe, can you put down your uh, humble producer pad for a moment and become an unhumble critic?
3: Okay, if I'm an unhumble critic, I would say it's a four. As far as a personal rating, I give it a four eight. This is one of my favorite albums. It's an album I listen to uh, frequently.
0: Very good. I, I believe that I would give it a four three as a heartless critic that had no uh, no uh, opinion other than what's what's uh the value of it in terms of the art as a listener, I think I would give it a four. And if they were to take four, four or five songs off of this record, it would shoot up much higher. Um, so I'm not, I'm I, not, huh? I was going to say, I agree with that. Yeah. I've, And that's um anyway, I will also say that I, I really feel like I need a month with a record before I can say I wouldn't put my rating in concrete. I don't think I've heard this record enough to say that. And uh, um, that's that's why uh, our studio audience may not know this, but we have extended our picks to go further so that we have more time to digest these wonderful albums. One thing I should say is it may seem like we have um, some inflation going on with our ratings. I would like to point out that none of us are picking albums that aren't extremely highly regarded by critics already. So, uh... <laughs> well, not yet, at least. Not
2: yet. Wait wait till we get a few, uh, my pick, a few down at me. Uh, <laughs> that may be a little different. <laughs>
0: Well, I can't think of one that we have uh, picked that got anything less than four stars. By most of the, most of them have been five, between four and a half and five. But yeah. uh, anyway, that was a good one, and it got us in some territory we haven't been before. Um, now I'm gonna turn it over to uh, Tony because I believe Tony has something for the kids tonight.
2: Yeah, Doug, this is one of the, I think maybe only the second time I'm able to talk about an album that was released very, very uh, close to the date we're recording this. Um, And uh, J.M., I don't know if you're familiar or if you've heard the most recent Los Lobos album called Native Sons. I have not. But they they released an album, yeah, uh, yeah, and and they released the album a couple of weeks, I think it came out a couple of weeks ago. And it's, uh, it's what they're calling themselves are calling a love letter to LA. So it's, it's a covers album, but it's um, which they said, you know, with it being the pandemic seemed like kind of stress wise, a, a good way to go, but it's uh it's a, they, they've pulled a bunch of songs that influenced the guys in one way or another. There's some garage, uh, uh, you know, early LA garage rock bands on there that were on the Nuggets album. They oh, cool. do. They do a cover of, of um, Sail On Sailor by The Beach Boy.
1: Sail
2: like long... They do a great version of Flat Top Joint by uh, The Blasters. But <laughs> the song I love, really love on this is they cover Jamaica Say You Will by Jackson Brown.
1: Jamaica say you will Help me find a way to fill These empty
2: hours Say you will Come it, is, <laughs> it is fantastic. That, that version and their version of, they do a version of For What It's Worth is also really really great the buff, that old Buffalo Springfield song, which oddly enough, as I was listening to it, it, seems to have a lot to say today as as much as it had to say in '68. But whatever, that's my little political commentary there. But it's great. It's a great album. And if you like Los Lobos, or even if you don't know them that much and you're intrigued by it, I would get this album. It's 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 a lot more straightforward than than Kiko, the one we talked about tonight. But um, it's got a little bit of everything that. You know, just like the band, they're, it's eclectic enough, Um, but it's really, really, really good. I was surprised. This is their seventeenth album. This band's been putting stuff out since oh, yeah. you know forever, and they and they they're one of those bands that it seems to keep a high level of of um, of uh, songcraft and what they're doing. Well, I, I think it's. I mean, we've said it a lot tonight, but this is a tight band. These guys know their ways around their way around oh, instruments, and yeah. um and if you don't know about this band you know Kiko may not be the best place to start although it's a good place because there's some great stuff on it just seek out any of their albums because you're going to fall in love with them
3: that's it for tonight's show next week we'll be looking at an album by Dave Mason formerly of Traffic Alone Together Holy- If you've got any opinions on this episode or previous episodes, please leave us a review or a rating on your favorite podcasting platforms. And look us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Tapping Vinyl. And we're on Gmail at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and welcome suggestions for albums to consider in an upcoming podcast. And if you know of a music lover that enjoys the long playing format, please let them know about this podcast. We'd love to get the word out. For our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagel, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, this is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11, reminding you to stay off that whiskey trail.
0: We have something very strange happening here tonight, ladies and gentlemen um, I'm about to announce something heretical for a <laughs> Protestant Anglican, and my Papist friend Tony has a uh, he has an an English cross uh on his shirt tonight.
2: <laughs> Well, I'm wearing a shirt from a brewery at Marvel. It's a brewery. <laughs> yeah. So that, well, it's uh, has the Anglican. <laughs> it, it's a brewery. It's a brewery called Save the World, and um, and all of and it's run as a nonprofit. All their profits go to go to um, go to charities. Huh. And they make great beers. They're Belgian style ales for the most part. Oh, everybody
3: loves them. If you mm, if you like beer, you you'll like the Belgians. Well, anyway. Free advertising.